suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, we're back. Episode 408 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. We had a week off because I was sick. More about that in a moment. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove, calling in loud and clear from regional Queensland. Yes. How are you, Trevor? How are you, Joe? How are you all listeners? I hope everyone's well. I'm a lot better now, thank you. And it's good. tech I'm guy and UK correspondent, Joe. How are you, Joe? Good morning, all. Joe's with us. Right. So, yes, we missed out last week because I was sick and I got a bout of pneumonia. Briefly, I had a virus prior to Melbourne Cup Tuesday I lingered around for a week, thought I was getting better, and then after doing the podcast Tuesday night, woke up with a terrible cough and feeling awful, and what had basically happened was that my immune system was weakened by the virus, and uh, both Joe and myself, with Crohn's disease, take medication. Joe, you're on mesosalazine as well, or not? No, no, no. I'm on a bunch of other drugs, so... right. Okay, well, I'm on one that suppresses my immune system because Crohn's is, to some extent, sort of a thing where your immune system goes a bit haywire, so they need to tone it down a little bit. So after the virus and taking the medication for Crohn's, I had a compromised immune system, which allowed a bacteria to get in, and I ended up with pneumonia and was in a shocking state for five days at home. I really should have gone to the hospital a lot earlier. Anyway... Went on the Monday morning, raised the white flag, went in and spent three nights at the Wesley Hospital, a lovely private room using some of my private medical cover. I highly recommend the grilled barramundi on the menu and uh, <laughs> I was well looked after and feeling good now except if I do anything energetic, I run out of gas. But sitting here and podcasting is something I can do. Uh, I'm podcast fit at least, so... We'll run through the topics of the last two weeks and do our best to sort of describe what's gone on and what's been happening. If you're in the chat room, say hello. Uh, let me see. Is anybody there at the moment? Um, Four people, apparently. Okay. Say hello if you're there. John Simmons is there. So, dire straits. Thanks, John. Yes, I'm on the road back, but it's going to take a few weeks <coughs> to get fully back. Lost a few, lost a bit of weight too. Lost about three kilos. I didn't really need, I was at my fighting weight and after losing three kilos, I looked a little bit like a really an old man on, or a bit of a sort of a concentration camp victim. So I was looking really skinny. So anyway, I'm, I'm trying to beef up, trying to actually put on weight, if you can believe it. So there we go. Get on the bears. Yeah, that's it. Indeed. So, right, we're going to talk about. What's the point of this Labor government? Robo-debt, Queensland first home owner grant extended, another bash at boomers, 
the indefinite detention t- sort of decision out of the High Court, David McBride, Optus CEO, Tuvalu, the gender pay gap, Argentina, Gaza, the China update, maybe a bit of Ukraine. See how we go in the next hour as we run through the topics. But, guys, um, a couple of things happened, and we'll talk to them about in more detail, but the, the robo-debt inquiry was a really good one and the commissioner in charge of that came out with 57 recommendations. Ah, but the government's not mentioning that they're not mentioning number 57. Correct. The government's being really sneaky and saying, actually, there are only 56 recommendations. Yeah, they they mentioned this morning on um, 7am when I was listening to it, they reckon it wasn't any, they reckon it wasn't a recommendation, it was... It was a talking point or something like that. That's what the government's saying. Yeah, I know. But immediately after the report was presented, Bill Shorten said, there's 57 recommendations. Yeah. The report itself says there's 57 recommendations. Yeah. It just happened to be that the 57th was in this sort of final thoughts chapter. But it was undoubtedly a recommendation, which was basically looking at the way that information is held secret using cabinet secrecy arrangements. And really, information is presented to cabinet. Well, well you, you, want some cert- you want some secrecy around cabinet deliberations. It's a fair enough thing that people in cabinet need to be able to talk about potential decisions and argue about them. And maybe you might argue we should not do this thing. And other people are arguing, well, we should do it. And at the end of the day, the cabinet decides they're going to do it. You really have this principle of sort of cabinet solidarity and uh, everyone in the cabinet then gets behind the decision. And you really don't want that sort of backroom negotiation and discussion to be hashed out in public and for ministers to be questioned, to be said, oh, well, you, you were initially against the idea and now you're saying you're for it. Well, of course... It's all about covenant solidarity. So mm. there are legitimate reasons why some things should be kept secret. But what we've got is sort of information going to cabinet, factual information, and that then being declared secret In cabinet, cabinet confidence. business when yeah. really it's just factual information that should be available to everybody and it's being misused and abused. Well, there was so, a comment that, They've got a trolley that they wheel through the cabinet room, yeah, every every week with right. information that they don't want released, so that it's being considered by cabinet because they wheeled it through once a week. There you go. So now, whether that Labor- was hyperbole, I don't know. Yeah, but that's the sort of gives you an idea. That's a good description of kind of what's happening. And so, this Labor government has basically said, "Oh, well, there were only fifty six recommendations that." That final one wasn't a real recommendation. And everybody <laughs> knows it was a recommendation. It's, it's Orwellian doublespeak. It's a fucking joke that they're trying to describe it as not a recommendation. Now, if they had a decent if they had a decent pair on them and that sort of stuff, they'd actually say to you, look, we accept and we'll implement 56 of the 57 recommendations. Number 57 is problematic because it deals with cabinet incompetence. Mm. We agree that the Tories did misuse this. 
but you know we don't want to open the doors and that sort of stuff because you know it's one of those things it's i agree with you trevor it's a double-edged sword for them because if they say that we if they say they're going to accept number 57 then you could end up with uh, freedom of information requests every other week and that could actually end up undoing the whole in cabinet incompetence thing which i know people that are all about transparency and that sort of stuff wouldn't have a problem with but i agree with you you've got to be able to have a forthright debate in cabinet and I think that you wouldn't have that forthright debate if there was any, if there was any chance of it being leaked outside of cabinet. Mm. I'm sure John, it would be possible to structure the rules such as such that things that are, should be kept secret are kept secret, and things that should be open are open. But this, yeah, so you're going to have to have bureaucrats and that sort of stuff that actually go through it and that type of thing that they could say, well, we've got this. We've got this FOI request. You've got a bureaucrat that goes through it and that sort of stuff. Then they're going to take it to the ministers and say, this is why we're going to hand it over. Yeah, but that happens all the time with freedom of information requests mm. are assessed and evaluated. But all the time. FOI requests can't actually undo anything that's in Cabinet, though, can it? Correct. Mm. So, look, the way this is handled, though, I reckon, is exactly how the Morrison government would have handled it. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm. Just a you really know. bullshit explanation and a bluff and... and Which is precisely why I just said if they had a decent pair on them and that sort of stuff, they'd actually take yeah. it to the public and say, we are accepting the first, first 56 recommendations. Number 57 is problematic. It's problematic mm. because of ABC. Mm. And then you might have it come back, then you might have journalists saying, well, can't you do X, Y, Z? And they say, good question. We will go away and think about it. Mm. And they could come back and say, well, you can't do X, Y, Z because of one, two, three. Mm. You know, it's just one of those things. If they had a, like I said, if they had a decent pair on them, that sort of stuff, they might be prepared to argue it. But mm. they clearly don't want to argue with it. And I, I, it's one of the things that's most disappointing about the Albanese government is they they always want to look for the, simple things in life and they want to go through and tick off the simple things and then they can say well we've done 70 percent of what we promised we we're going to do the other 30 percent is a little bit too complicated so we're going to hold off mm. you know it's one of those things i honestly believe i'd have a hell of a lot more respect for them if they said we're going to handle the the tough 30 percent right now we're going to actually talk to you about why we're doing what we're doing and we're going to have we're going to have a lot of you disagreeing with us but we've got to actually do this and it's just just treat us like adults, exactly. not like idiots. Like yes. Morrison treated us like idiots. Idiots, exactly. And these guys are doing the same thing. This is precisely this is, this is exactly how Morrison would have handled it. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things, like you know, Paul Bongiorno, who turns up every Friday on seven AM talking about it and that sort of stuff. He says, "Look, the Albanese government's got to pull their finger out." He didn't use that language. But he said he's got to actually he's got to actually ta start taking the electorate into his confidence and that type of thing, actually talking through. He's actually got to actually put something on the table and say this is what we're going to do, mm -hmm. because you know you've actually got to look at the reforms and that sort of stuff under Hawke and Keating. They were not classic Labor reforms. They were Liberal Party policies that the Labor Party pinched, mm -hmm. you know, and they got up and that sort of stuff and they they argued them and they actually put up persuasive arguments for them and they told the public why they were doing it. 
Mm. And yeah. these idiots are just saying to us, oh, there was really only 56 recommendations. Yeah, I know. No, yeah. just, Do they honestly we're not believe? stupid. Exactly. You know, it's, it's one of the things the fourth estate should really be ashamed of themselves because they're actually swallowing it. Mm. They're actually reporting well, to the public there's only been 56 recommendations, which is nonsense. But they, they know that some of the public is stupid. We'll accept that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can so, imagine that because my old man would be up there watching Sky News saying, oh, yeah, we're going to accept 56 months, 56 of the um, recommendations. So that really struck me as ScoMo-esque, the whole approach to that problem. We've oh, had exactly. David McBride before the court, basically the whistleblower on, mm. on war crimes. Mm. And, you know, ScoMo would have run that the same way, just kept going with the court case, whereas... You would have hoped a Labor government would have said, "Great, a whistleblower exposed what had happened here," and yeah, public interest. And yes, and he actually he pleaded guilty, didn't he? <clears throat> yes, yeah. to, to three charges. Yes, yeah, because apparently public interest wasn't a defence. Uh, turned out <laughs> he tried to argue, yeah. and they said, "Well, no, that's not open to you." That's bloody ridiculous. Mm. So yeah. we've got. Robo-debt shenanigans. Good David McBride hauled through the court when really he's a, an honest whistleblower. We've got something like um, Tuvalu, little well, Pacific Island. No, sorry, go. I was going to say the, the um, whistleblower thing, they were saying that the people he has alleged committed war crimes are still out free walking and yeah. he's already pled guilty if not been sentenced. What the hell? Where, where's the justice in that? Mm. You'd have been better off committing the war crime than revealing the war crime. Exactly. Just the way it's panning out. Exactly. It's one of those things I find that really ridiculous that you've got a situation that the whistleblower is the, one, the only one that's going to face any time behind bars and the guys <coughs> that pulled the trigger, they're going to get away with it completely scot-free. Yeah. So as Camo-esque approach, we'll talk about Tuvalu, little Pacific Island nation. We're going to provide them with aid. But in return, we're bullying them into basically handing over their sovereignty for, for their relationships with other countries and they have to sort of get the okay from us before, beforehand, which is something that the Conservative government would have done. This Labor government's been reluctant to criticise Israel. Skarma would have come out and praised Israel, but, you know, We've got cuts to infrastructure spending have happened now because the government's got a budget problem. They're still running through the stage three tax cuts. We've still got AUKUS happening. And we've got no pro sort of secular things happening at all with this Labor government. We'll talk about the indefinite detention changes with uh, the High Court came out and said, well, all these people you've got on detention uh, with no hope of actually getting out, you just can't do it. And we've got a lot of chest beating by Labor politicians saying, well, if we could throw them back in the clink, we would do it immediately. Well, I want them all behind bars sort of thing. Rather than just saying, you know what, we release into the community rapists and murderers all the time. Exactly. Once they've done their time. They've so- yeah, once they've done their time, Absolutely. No, these guys, these guys have these guys. I take it have already been convicted in a foreign jurisdiction, have they? Some foreign, some here. Okay. Combination, but you know, many of them have done more than the time 
that would be required for the crime that they committed. And sure, there's some ugly, nasty characters there, but our prisons have been full of ugly, nasty characters who we eventually let out because you just, as a civilised society, can't lock people up for the rest of their lives except in the most extraordinary of circumstances. And so we just got chest-beating by the Labor again on that front. It all just strikes me as what would have happened different if Morrison had won that bloody last election? Would, would much have changed? I think well, what you, the only thing that would have changed is they would have walked away from the stage three tax cuts. Morrison wouldn't have. Yeah, I really reckon he would have. No, he wouldn't have. No, I reckon he would have. No, for his mates. No, he could see. He could see that that was going to give away far too much money. Oh, there's a theory, Scott. Don't no, agree I, know, with that I one. know it's a theory, but yeah. it's a, it's a theory. It's an out there theory, but it's one of those things. I think that they, I think they set this up to make it very difficult for the Labor Party. It was set up right from word go to make it very difficult for the Labor Party to oppose. So they actually they actually they voted it through and that sort of stuff. Then they went to the election and rather stupidly said, "Yeah, we're going to allow that," mm-hmm. which I honestly believe he should have actually said no. We're not going to. We, if we win this, if we win this government, we will be tearing back the stage three tax cuts. We will be paring them back. They were too gutless. I know they were far too gutless. Yeah, they, 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 they were. They were absolutely they scared <laughs> of what happened to Bill Shorten. Yeah, they didn't want to differentiate themselves mm. from from the Tories. Mm. Mm. And now that they're in office, they still don't want to differentiate themselves. Yeah, I know. Well, I, and, oh, God, what's his name now? Dutton is trying to wedge Albanese on the refugee thing even still. Mm. Yeah, it's all his fault. Because if you see yes. the, the the Murdoch press, they're all about how Dutton was holding Albanese to account about this. It's like it's yes. a high court judgment yes. on a law that I'm fairly sure LMP implemented. Mm. Yes. So, yeah. It's just the gutlessness of this Labor group to try and tell a story and instead they have to do the chest beating that's demanded by the Conservatives and the Murdoch press and gutless is all I can say. It's like like Turnbull. Mm. Turnbull was beholden to the figures on the right and it looks like Albanese is too. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about some of those things in more detail as we go through them, but that was just my initial thoughts for this episode is what is the point of this Labor government? We're just getting SCOMO without the smirk, I think, I think in many it's ways. Still, I think it is still preferable to the Tories, though. Yeah, but realistically, is there that much difference? No, there's not that much difference, but it's yeah. still preferable to the Tories. Yes. It's a, it's, it's a prettier wrapping. It's more palatable, but... There's a lot of the same shit underneath. Is the problem? Oh, absolutely, it's one of those things. If you if you peel if you peel away the onion and all that sort of stuff, all you got is a smaller, shinier onion. Mm, yeah. You know. Yeah. So we talked about robo debt and those recommendations, and that was just an Orwellian denial by Labor of of the facts, treating us like idiots. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys see that in Queensland, the state government announced it will double the first homeowner grant from fifteen thousand? To 30,000. I liked what Saul Eslake said about it. Yes. So Saul Eslake is a, is a well-respected economist 
And he's had 60, he said, we've had 60 years of evidence that giving cash to home buyers to let them pay more for housing than they would otherwise results in more expensive housing, not mm-hmm. in more people owning their own home. Exactly. And All it's going to do is just look after people like me that are already in the property market. I already own my place up here in Mackay outright. Yeah. I own my place in, I don't own it outright. I've got a mortgage on that one in South Ripley. You know, it's if you could increase the property values by $30,000 on all those properties, that would help me out very nicely. Yep. Just a bunch of people who maybe their budget for buying a new home was 600000 It's now 615000 Exactly. Yeah. And Saul Eslake said, it's hard to think of a policy that governments have pursued for so long in the face of such incontrovertible evidence that it doesn't work than the policy of giving cash to first-home buyers. The news, so I was reading this on the Courier-Mail website and it asked people, is doubling the first homeowner grant to 30000 a good idea? In, in the Courier-Mail, amongst Courier-Mail readers, 90% said no, not a good yeah, idea. Yeah, but hang on. If you ask a Tory uh, readership whether mm. giving free money, giving taxpayer money to poor people is a good idea, of course they're going to say no. True. And the other thing is that all those readers of the Korean Mail, none of them are first home buyers because they're all well, exactly. boomers. Yeah. So there you go. And they don't realise it's going to push the value of their properties up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. What else did he say here? Mr. Uh, Saul Eslake said the argument was just bullshit, mm. <laughs> essentially. But uh, he, people... he did propose a, a new name for it, didn't he? What was that? It was the it was the house builders grant, right? Because okay. because the value of the money would go straight to home builders. Yeah, the builders. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. I suppose it will actually stop a few of them going belly up, though, won't it? Builders. Yeah. Oh, Maybe increase their, if they could increase their prices by twenty thousand dollars a build. I don't know. I think mm. I don't know, Scott. I mean, a lot of them are in trouble because they entered into fixed contracts. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. That a, a hell of a lot of them, a hell of a lot of them, bit off more than they can chew. And what they did was they said to people, "Yeah, we'll we'll build your house for X dollars, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna honour that contract price for years to come." Yeah. When they should have actually said, "If it's not built in twelve months, then we've got to relook at the price." Yeah. Well, even within 12 months, some of the pricing of, yeah, exactly. of, um, of wooden yeah. frames, for example, mm. went up really quickly. So just mm. some of them got caught out like that. So anyway, still on boomers. So I think I mentioned, oh, I can't remember if we mentioned it last week or last time. But so we had the rise of the interest rates on Melbourne Cup Tuesday. And anyway... What we had was one of the banks, the Commonwealth Bank, looked at its credit card and debit card transactions from 7 million customers and looked at the spending patterns based on age. So that's interesting. The Commonwealth Bank knows the age of its card holders and can then look at the spending patterns. And remember when we were complaining for the umpteenth time of what a blunt instrument interest rates were because you stupid consumers out there are spending too much on on discretionary Smashed items. Smashed 
forcing the prices up, thereby increasing inflation, without regard to the fact that a lot of the components of inflation were things beyond people's control, like filling up the cars. Yeah, and also interest rates themselves add to the inflation rate. And anyway, um, got here a chart, which you guys may not have seen because it was in the notes, but essentially showing different age groups as it moves from left to right, it increases in age and it's got discretionary spending and essential spending and, and total spending. And guess what? As people have been g- getting older, the old boomers, they're the ones spending more money on discretionary and essential spending and it's the young people who have not so that sort of 18 to 39-year age group are the people who have not been spending money, whereas it's the, the boomer class and the Gen X who have been. No surprise there, but just interesting that those statistics are available from credit card information. So just adds to the intergenerational conflict that we've got going on in this country between the... Between all those, so essentially younger people forced to spend more on essentials. It's the older people who are spending money on... Non-essentials. Non-essentials. And guess what? Raising interest rates probably helps them because they've got money in the bank, increases mm-hmm. their interest rates. It's, it's totally misguided policy. Thanks again, Reserve Bank. I, I have not heard any whispers. Somebody at some stage will talk about the government taking control of interest rates and taking it away from the Reserve Bank. At some point, somebody has to talk about it. Greg Sheridan in The Australian, he's got another problem with young people. Yeah, not having enough kids. Not having enough babies. <laughs> he says, we need babies more than we do migrants. Every individual <clears throat> has a right to make their own decision about having children, but... These choices are being increasingly made in the face of coercive. He's doing. What are you doing there, Joe? You unwrapping oh, chocolate. Every individual has the right to make their own decision about having children, but these choices are being increasingly made in the face of coercive feminist and green ideology that depicts children as enemies of self fulfilment. What a load of shit! And guess what, Greg Sheridan. Speaking shit like that, we'll be invited onto Q&A. Q&A next week. You'll be on the drum. <clears throat> You'll be on whatever ABC panel show needs a talking head, despite the crap that comes out of his mouth. Well, you so, know, fam- family values, the, the modern, it, it's yeah. just breaking up. Women should be barefoot and pregnant back in the kitchen. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> going to blame that coercive feminist and green ideology. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just back to the indefinite detention. Good chocolate there, Joe. (laughs) So I was trying to figure out what is going on with this indefinite detention and maybe I didn't copy it, but it seems to be that because... It was mandatory and there wasn't any consideration of um, 
circumstances that um, there was no real administrative decision-making being made and it was almost a judicial power being exercised by executive government and our High Court has decided that there is a separation of powers that the judiciary looks after judicial matters and the government looks after administrative matters and therefore the way that this had been framed was a breach of the separation of powers. Won't know for sure until the decision reasons are published because this was a really unusual situation with this detention where the High Court basically heard the arguments and then said, right, everyone come back in 20 minutes and here's our decision and we'll give you the reasons later. And that was a highly unusual approach to it. So don't Why'd they do it like that? I think that they saw the urgency of getting people out of detention. They knew what their decision was and they didn't want people held in detention any longer than necessary while they wrote up their detailed reasons. So, but the detailed reasons would only take a week for them to put down on paper, wouldn't they? Oh, Scott, no. Really? No, not at all. Okay. So these often take months to get right. Okay. So, uh, so they knew what their decision was going to be, and so they announced that and said, we'll give you the full reasons later. But that appears to be kind of the argument. So we've made our mind up. We need to rationalise it afterwards. Yeah. That's what they're saying. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. <laughs> where the court says we're really confident we've got this right but the actual writing of the decision is complicated and will take time and because you've got to cite lots of authorities and whatnot and so I'm, I'm okay with that part of it. Yeah. So that was that was indefinite detention. Sort of people that have been held in detention are a stateless Rohingya, unauthorised maritime arrival, sentenced to five years jail for aggravated sexual assault of a victim under the age of 16 who had been in immigration detention for five years, people smuggler, um, a man convicted in 1999 of the murder of his wife, sentenced to 22 years with a minimum of 18. Um, I mean... Murder of his wife, sentenced to 22 years back in 1999. Like, we let murderers out into the community eventually. That's normal. Mm. Convicted sex offender, currently on child protection register, after assaulting a 12-year-old girl in 2012. Again, ugly, awful stuff. My understanding is these are people who would normally be expelled, mm. but because they're stateless, they can't be. Yes. Because under right. international law, if they're in your country and they are stateless, you have to accept them. Yes, indeed. Yep. Um, quite a few people smuggling, rape, false imprisonment, trafficking of a controlled drug, meth, meth um, supplying of prohibitive drugs. Fair number of drug runners, it looks like, in here. I thought I saw at one point there was a lot of connections to motorcycle gangs, but I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, that's the sort of people who, who are now being released into the community with leg bracelets and reporting conditions. And let's face it, 
that's what goes on all the time. Um, you know, and I've got no problem with them having to wear ankle bracelets and they've mm. got reporting and everything else that goes with it. Mm. Well, it's I, one I of think those things. they're the same as Australian citizens. If it's not happening to an Australian citizen who's been guilty of the same crimes, it shouldn't be mm. happening to these people. It, it mm. seems like there's an additional layer of punishment just because they were born in the wrong place. Yeah, that's a good point. But I nice. just think to myself, you know, I'm going to have to go away and think about that. Mm. Right. We've already mentioned David McBride. Not much more to say about him except he's pleading guilty, it seems. Optus. How much time is he going to do? I don't know. don't know. Poor bugger. Um, yeah. Optus CEO quit after the Optus failed. Um, I found this part interesting. She was being questioned in the Senate hearing and she said she previously carried a spare Vodafone SIM in case of an Optus outage but now also carries a spare Telstra SIM. Uh, that that doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Uh, I think you'd be an idiot not to. As the CEO of Optus... To say yeah. I have so little faith in our organisation. It's, it's, not I, it's not I have so little faith. It's when the network goes down, you need to be there to make decisions and you need a guaranteed – as a business, <coughs> I wouldn't trust any single network provider. Mm. If I was running my own business, I wouldn't be saying there's Telstra, they have the best network, or there's Optus, they have the best network, I'm 100%. If I want resiliency, I want to make sure that the, the – I have a backup plan that is completely separate from the other ones. So, Joe, every CEO in Australia, every major political leader, anybody with an important job should have a spare SIM card on a different network? If you need to be contactable in a crisis, yes. Right. If you're the chief of the fire services or something or something like that. that. You, you should yeah, have an alternate method. Right. And Look. and more and more and more as the systems are digitised. What what scares me is the infrastructure now is switched. Every phone call in Australia is switched either in Melbourne or in Sydney. Mm. Uh, and if you have a regional outage that disconnects you from Melbourne and Sydney, even if your infrastructure is still up and running, your calls yeah. cannot be switched because they're switched in Melbourne and <coughs> Sydney. Mm. Oh, look, if I was the CEO, I would be saying to my personal secretary, you make sure you've got a spare SIM because it's just a bad look but, if I do. Yeah, yeah I think you're probably, you're probably right there. There probably was a fairly bad look that she actually admitted that she had the other SIMs, but I honestly think it was quite sensible to have a a all-purpose plan B. <laughs> um, when, I, when I worked in a telephone exchange years ago, we had an out-of-area line that actually ran from Guernsey into Jersey because when your telephone exchange blows up, you need to be able to call the manufacturer for help. Yes. Yeah. Watley in the chat room says, all the drug dealers I know have multiple SIMs. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame them. Yes. And I've actually got two conducting... SIMs sitting, two SIMs on my what? phone right now. Yes. Lots of men conducting affairs also have two sims as well. Well, that's true. Yes. One of that goes on. Ah, there's a phone out there that you can have two sim cards in, swap between them on one phone, don't you? Don't need two all, phones. All of, the, 
all of the iPhones recently support electronic SIMs, and you can have up to eight SIMs loaded. You can only have two active at a time. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. So anyway, that was Optus CEO. She's gone. And Tuvalu. I have a little soft spot for Tuvalu because when I was backpacking in New Zealand, I met – you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. I met some Peace Corps workers who were working in Tuvalu and so anyway, always sort of aware of the country. So we've made an offer, Australia, to Tuvalu, allowing residents facing displacement from climate change to resettle in Australia, but we've attached conditions to that and we'll have veto power over Tuvalu's security arrangements with any other country. So Tuvalu is bound to Australia uh, for not just defence, but must seek Australia's mutual agreement on any of Tuvalu's security arrangements covering defence, policing, border enforcement, cybersecurity and critical infrastructure. So although not directly stated, this is clearly aimed at China. Mm. This is the sort of bullshit thing that Morrison would have done. Yeah, here's some money, but hand over your sovereignty to us. Such a bully boy tactic. Um, it is. Now, just particularly with something like climate change that, let's face it, Australia's largely responsible for the fossil fuels industry yep. and that sort of thing, so we are the major cause of it. Mm. It's I honestly believe that it sounds okay they were opening up our borders and that sort of stuff to allow these people to move over here. I have no problem with that at all. It's just that, you know, if you're then going to put attach the strings to it the way they have, you yep. know, that's fucking criminal, actually. Yeah. Couldn't we have just said, here's some money, here's assistance, here's a deal. Bring your people over if when if your island gets flooded. Mm. Yeah, by the way, if you're approached by things, just let us know. Talk to us beforehand. We'd like mm. to talk. If the Chinese come and want to do some deal with you, just talk to us first. Exactly. Just imposing conditions. It's just one of those things. Bully boy tactics. It's one of those things. It's just that, again, the government clearly can't ever have a conversation with anyone. You know, no. they, they actually should have had that conversation with them saying, look, if China comes to you first, that's no problem at all. We just don't want you to make it public until you come and talk, spoken to us. Mm. This is the thing. So that sort of deal was, let me see, it's a copy of conditions the Americans apply to the Marshall Islands, Palau and other, and the Federated States of Micronesia, giving Washington authority over their defence issues in return for US government services and the right to live in the US. So we've just taken a page out of the US playbook there. Meanwhile, of course, China provides infrastructure. It doesn't attach any deals like that. But they're the bad guys, apparently. Gender pay gap. Have you guys heard about this? I guess we're all kind of aware that it's happening where there is yeah, a gender pay a gap. Jonathan Pye chat about it, mm -hmm. the skit he did. Have you not seen the Jonathan Pye skit? No. Uh, okay. Talking about the fact that it isn't that women are being paid differently from men, it's that over a lifetime 
historical things. Uh, basically, past injustices are still showing up in today's right. outcomes. So be, women fall pregnant, stop working for a few years, and, and just don't catch up. Is that was he, was so? He's... So basically, people who are CEOs now were mm. juniors twenty or thirty years ago, and so the decisions of twenty, thirty years ago impact the number of women in senior management. And because mm. of that, uh, when you take a gender as a whole compared to another gender as a whole, there are more men in higher paying jobs, which means that as a whole, men earn more than women. Yes. I think what they're finding, though, is that people doing the same job, mm -hmm. men are getting paid more than women. Okay, that was supposed the, to have stopped. For the same job. So what's going to happen in 2024 is... Every company with more than 100 employees, it's going to be published by the government's Workplace Gender Equality Agency what the pay rates are at different levels. So companies are now scrambling to make sure that they don't look bad mm -hmm. in that women in senior management positions are have to be paid the same as men in the same senior management position. And so when this happened in the UK, the gap got smaller and some big-name companies were embarrassed by the revelation that they pay women less. So, so yeah, that's going to come out in 2024. My daughter yes. is involved in HR and she tells me that companies, the ones that she's involved with, I certainly got an eye on that and conscious of what it will look like if if there is an obvious gap for people doing the same role and the only difference is their gender. So, yeah, I mean, it's the also BBC, done across the. Um, there, also was, did there was a lot of discussion about that. And then there was the whole how do you put a value on a presenter's worth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, who who is. Who is the draw card of the morning show? Right. And so, yeah, the the, the relative amounts that those presenters get paid, and quite often there's a lot of discussion around that. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, that's going to come out in 2024, so yep. that will be interesting. UK, Joe, their Supreme Court ruled – so. The British had an arrangement where basically boat people would be sent to Rwanda. Yes. Of all places. <clears throat> and the UK courts said, Rwanda's a dangerous place. You can't do it. And Fair enough. So the UK Parliament is having to reassess how they frame the law. I think they were <laughs> wanting to just pass a law declaring Rwanda a safe place. I don't think that was going to do the trick. But um, just they've also another. talked about shipping people off to Ascension Island, right. kind of like we have done for mm. uh, Manus. Yeah, uh, they also have a floating hulk. Was a um, ah, was that's it? that boat that they've converted into it. Yes, it? <laughs> yeah. and, and a, 
Apparently, they've refitted it now, and they're trying to get asylum seekers back on it again. Yeah, is the latest I heard. Because mm-hmm. because the fire inspector came down and said, "Yep, doesn't pass any of the fire safety regs. You can't have people on board." Yeah. So just interesting in both countries, Australia and the UK, uh, the court system has basically said to the government in Australia, your detention arrangement is unlawful, and in the UK, your extradition arrangement also unlawful. So, but believe me, the UK yeah. government is looking at Australia as a, a leader in this, yes. and they want yeah, to emulate it's, Australia. It's one mm. of those things. I find it really bizarre that you've got, you know, with a British accent saying you've got to stop the boats. It's mm-hmm. exactly what we've been saying over here for years. But, you know, it's – I'm not actually saying it's a good policy or anything like that. I'm just saying that we've been saying it over here for years and now it's yeah. been copied by the Poles. Indeed. They definitely have copied from us. No mm. doubt about it. Mm. Argentina has elected a madman. They've, they've got their own Donald Trump. Mm. Um, their own Bolsonaro. Yes. So this guy, Javier Millet, um, he is a right-wing libertarian nutcase. So very eccentric. He was once the front man of a Rolling Stones cover band. That's okay. <laughs> he currently owns five cloned dogs, each named after right-wing economists. That's not okay. He's warned leftist sons of bitches be afraid. And so he's anti-woke, anti-globalist, anti-abortion, anti-climate change, anti-central banking system and anti-socialism. And he is pro-guns, pro-family, pro-education, pro-US dollar and pro-Trump. He's promised to move Argentina away from the peso to using the US dollar as its currency. Now, no other major economy has shared currency with the United States. I cannot imagine how that could possibly work, that they would adopt the US currency as their own. Not a country as large as Argentina. Any country... You know, I know they. I know that the US dollar was the currency of East Timor for a little while until they got themselves up on their feet and that sort of stuff. Right. But it wasn't ever a long-term solution. It was only ever going to be a stopgap measure when they first became independent. Yeah. It's 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 impossible to imagine. It's, <clears throat> it's like they listen to these Bitcoin bros saying that it's a great idea that El Salvador has adopted Bitcoin as its national currency or whatever, but... People don't understand how money is generated. Mm-hmm. It's generated by private banks giving loans to people. Mm-hmm. And they don't need the central bank. So you walk into a bank. I could walk into a bank tomorrow and say, uh, I've got this $2 million house, want a mortgage against it, give me a million dollars. And the bank will just look at the assets that it can secure against the loan and your income to see whether you've got the capacity to meet the repayments. And poof, out of thin air, 
generates a ledger account and provides a million dollars to me. Well, hang on a second. Hmm. Because the economist that came on did say, but the flip side of that is the government creates debts and tells Mm. you what format it will accept those debts paid in. Yes. So the government taxes you, and if the government taxes you in US dollars, you have to pay them in US dollars. Yes. But my point is just in general business of operating an economy, Mm. the Argentinian banks are not authorised by the US to issue US dollar loans. Mm. So there's impossible for them to issue the normal sorts of loans that are issued by banks every day of the week because it's not the local currency. The central government can't authorise them to issue US government dollars. US government isn't going to authorise Argentinian banks to do it. So that kind of basic banking function just can't work in that situation. And what was the thing that you just said, Joe? What was what you saying about? The, 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 so the government uh, basically implements taxes to take money out of the economy. Yes. To cool it yes. down. Yes. And those, so, tax, and those taxes are paid in a format, and, and that's how they force a national currency is by saying you have to pay us in X currency. Yes, correct. But at so, the end of the day, you just become a vassal to the US. Yeah. How are these, how are ordinary Argentinians going to generate US dollars to pay tax to the government in US dollars? Just, it makes no sense at all. They're heading for a complete disaster. And exactly. This guy, it's all right. They'll just invade the Falklands and everything will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's been popular with the 16 to 35-year-old age group and he's a Trumpian-type character who appeals because he's seen to be outside of the the standard political sort of parties and fighting against the system, rebellious sort of guy. He often appears on stage at rallies with a chainsaw. chainsaw. (laughs) Fires up a chainsaw. Fires it up. You can see the smoke coming out of it. Um, it's because vowing to slash public spending. He yeah, no, he wants to cut up by 50% or something ridiculous like that. He wants to reduce the number of government departments from eight to, from 18 down to eight. Yeah. You know, he's just got a slash and burn mentality, which is absolutely ridiculous in this day and age. Yeah. And <sighs> I can't imagine him lasting any more than a term because he actually, if he actually does what he says he's going to do, then the public are going to turn around and give him the middle finger. He couldn't last a full term if he does what he says he's going to do. Exactly. It just couldn't happen. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, poor old Argentina. That's where they're headed for. It's it, it's one of those things I can understand the Argentinians being pissed off with Pyrrhonism. I can understand that because Pyrrhonism has caused a hell of a lot of problems, but it's also by the on the other side of the coin it has actually also helped in curtailing poverty. It hasn't eliminated poverty, but it has helped. You know, it's one of those things. I, I just think that they've got to have a long, hard look at themselves, and I think that the middle-of-the-road bloke who was the main guy that was up against this idiot would have been a far better choice. 
Yeah, I'm not exactly now, sure. I know he was the economy minister and that sort of stuff in the current regime. So it's understandable why people would have thought to themselves, well, you know, our economy is in, in free fall because of you, so we're not going to go with you, you know. Mm-hmm. My suspicion is that just unfortunately Argentina's a very corrupt society oh, controlled by oligarch families who have their own interest at heart and encourage the government to get IMF loans so that US dollars come in so that they can cash out and then take their dollars offshore and bugger the rest of the people. It's be something along those lines, unfortunately, I think, for Argentina. But, yeah, uh, plenty of news will come out of Argentina over the next couple of years if that guy lasts uh, and implements half of the ideas that he's proposing to implement. Well, um, he doesn't have he doesn't have the he doesn't have the uh, legislature or anything like that under control because he's only got thirty eight out of the however many hundred seats in the in the lower house. Right. Okay. Well, watch out for the military to get involved then. Exactly. So you know, it's one of the things. The only the only thing that you could actually rely on him doing and that sort of stuff is actually tapping the military and that sort of stuff, saying you've got to back me up here. So you couldn't end up with a, because they've been down dictatorship road before and all that sort of stuff. They could end up sliding back into it very easily. Mm. Mm. And then uh, I think you're right, Joe. Then you've got to be worried about the Falkland Islands again. Mm. Just quickly on Gaza, uh, Jordan Peterson. He's uh, able to sum up what's happening in Gaza. He was interviewed by Piers Morgan. He confidently stated that, quote, this is a last-ditch attempt by the Iranian mullahs to use the Islam against Jews' story to prop up their own dismal reign. So that's uh, Jordan Peterson blaming Iran for the Gaza disaster. I've got no doubt that Iran's got something to do with it, but I don't think either is as heavily involved as he makes out. Even the Israel, as I said, Iran's had nothing to do with this. Mm. So, well, it's one of the things because Hezbollah hasn't moved or anything like that. That's another. That's another proxy for Iran. So mm. you know, mm. uh, apparently there's a lot of gas offshore off Gaza. Mm. So one so the theory is, is if they. Israelis control Gaza, then they'll be able to control $450 billion worth of offshore gas. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, Elon Musk on Twitter or X, basically if you do things like use the word decolonisation and from the river to the sea and similar euphemisms, He's decided that that implies genocide of Jews and your account will be closed. So, so much for the free speech that Elon Musk was saying he would bring in. And finally, a little bit about China. Uh, She was in San Francisco. Um, Everyone was fawning over him. American CEOs. Apple, BlackRock, MasterCard, Qualcomm, Pfizer, FedEx, they're all wanting to be... It's a billion customers. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. So the American multinational corporations and their CEOs um, were fawning over him 
are cheering everything that he had to say. And this idea of trying to sort of isolate China, it just isn't going to work. It is too late. Just on the chip, briefly, America can't stop China's rise. And so America's trying to slow China's economic rise and the Biden administration has not reversed the trade tariffs that Trump imposed and it's tried to increase pressure on China by banning the export of chips and semiconductor equipment and selected software and it's persuading allies like the Netherlands and China to follow suit. So it's trying to isolate China in that regard and... So it's prohibited American investments in China involving sensitive technologies. And the big question is whether America can, su- can succeed. The answer is probably not. It's too late. Closing the barn door after the horse has bolted. And throughout history, uh, there's been efforts to curtail China's technological rise. In 1993, the Clinton administration tried to restrict China's access to satellite technology. That was in 1993, Clinton administration. Today, China has 541 satellites in space and has a competitor to Starlink. Same thing happened with GPS. America restricted China's access to geospatial data system in 1999. China simply built its own parallel system. And in some measures, it's better than the American-based system. It's got uh, 45 satellites compared to 31 and seemingly much more powerful. And the other thing is that they haven't factored in China's capacity to retaliate. So the China's July ban on the gallium and germanium exports was merely an opening shot across the bow to remind America of China's dominance in the rare earths and critical metal space. China has a near monopoly in the processing of magnesium, bismuth, tungsten, graphite, silicon, vanadium, spar, tellurium, indium, antimony, barite, zinc, tin. I didn't mention it, but probably unobtainium, I reckon, is also on the list, Joe. <laughs> I reckon. China also dominates midstream processing for materials essential to most of America's current and future technological aspirations, such as lithium, cobalt, nickel, and copper. So, you know, America, China controls a lot of these um, rare minerals, rare earths. It also controls a lot of the processing of the ones that maybe aren't so rare. And it'll be really tricky for Western countries to develop the capacity to process those minerals because guess what? It's really hard to get approvals environmentally to start processing this shit because it's pretty ugly when you start processing it. So a whole bunch of reasons why the idea of America being able to curtail China is is just not going to happen. There's a quick summary. Oh, look, and just briefly to finish off, Ukraine. The Wall Street Journal acknowledges that the narratives it's been pushing for months of a successful Ukrainian counteroffensive are magical thinking. 
And there's a headline in the Wall Street Journal, it's time to end magical thinking about Russia's defeat. Putin has withstood the West's best efforts to reverse his invasion of Ukraine and his hold on power is firm. The US and its allies need a new strategy, containment. What's your favourite YouTuber, Perrin, saying, Joe, is he still, are you guys still bullish about Ukraine's ability to force Russia back in any significant way? I I think the Putin has this idea that all he has to do is wait the West out, and it looks like the West is going to get bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all he has to do is uh, carry on. Putin doesn't want peace. He's said his terms for peace are the acceptance of Ukraine of the four oblasts that he doesn't even have complete control of, and also the complete demilitarization of the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So those are his terms for peace. I hadn't heard that. I heard his terms were, give me the territory I've already got, uh, change your constitution so you never join NATO, and and there was, I thought, one other one, but I couldn't remember. That's what I thought his terms were. But anyway, are you, Scott, are you, are you prepared? Still bullish about Ukraine's chances no, I, of, of I think pushing that back I, here or are we giving up? I, I think that Ukraine is probably on the last legs now because they have tried but it hasn't worked. Mm. So I think it is time to actually sit down and talk to the bastard. Mm. But I don't believe that you can trust anything that comes out of his mouth. Mm. You know, it's it, – I know you've got a – you're looking at the world through rose-coloured glasses here, Trevor. But I me, honestly, yes, you are because what? this this prick has lied before. Realistic, yeah. I mean, all, glasses. All, all, he wants, all he wants, all he wants is not going to lie. Sorry, sorry. What was that, Joe? No, Joe's gone. Shut shut up again. It's one of those things. I, I just think to myself that y- you can't trust him because he has walked away from every agreement and that sort of stuff that was on the table before this. Well, you it's, also can't trust the Ukrainians because they, they also... Yeah, okay. They walked away from they walked Minsk. away from, from the Minsk agreement, which is okay because, you know, it's just one of those things. They, like, they admitted they had no intention. Of no, no, no. We, we, we can have peace in our time. All he wants is a little Lebensraum uh, and then um, <laughs> Putin will leave the, them alone. Yeah, it's one of those things. I just think to myself that you can't actually trust anything that comes out of his mouth because no. he's a he's a lying prick. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm not you know, it's one of those things. That it's just I never said you can trust him, but I'm just saying you have to be realistic about. Yeah, and the the only realistic solution for this is for the Yanks to get involved and actually oh. is to actually go in toe to toe with the Russians, which would then result in nuclear nuclear weapons being tossed across borders, and that <coughs> would just be a disaster. So I think to myself, you know, I hope the guy actually does have a life-threatening illness and I hope that he does die sooner rather than later. But the Mm. risk is a a further right. I mean, apparently Mm. the next election he may well be up against somebody who is even further right than him who wants to go all out on the war. Which Mm. would be an absolute disaster if that actually happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. It's one of those things. I suppose if you, I suppose if you've got a, if you've got someone that's even further right and that sort of stuff, then you're going to be able to. That will then break the um, nexus between them and China, which means Russia would then be on their own and that sort of stuff. 
So then after that, because they're on their own, if they don't even have the if they don't even China backing them up, then they would fall over a hell of a lot faster. Faster. But it's just ugh, it's a hell of a mess. Mm. I do believe that Ukraine did actually put up a reasonable fight and that sort of stuff. They did actually fight. They did actually try and push back, but the pushback apparently is failing right now. Mm. So I think to myself that they've actually got to talk to the bastard. But we'll have to see where his demands are because I think to myself that if they actually do actually try and negotiate (coughs) and that type of thing, then that will be perceived by Putin as weakness on their part. So he will actually try and push for the maximum of a settlement, which will mean that Ukraine's got to kiss goodbye to you, is, is got to kiss goodbye to Crimea. They've also got to kiss goodbye to the UNESC. Mm. I think so. Right. Well, there we anyway, are. I'm very happy that it didn't actually work because the whole thing was supposed to be over in two days. 18 months later, it's still going on. Well, I think Putin's got what he wanted. Uh, no, he wanted all of he Ukraine. Did, he, did, he wanted all of Ukraine. You know, he did want to, He did want all of Ukraine. So he didn't. Did he? Need, yeah, he did. did he? he did. Did he? He did. Uh, yeah, he did. There, there's, there's, there's certainly comments that he's made in the past that suggests that Ukraine is part of Russia. Mm. And that it was a mistake letting it go in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Which is one of those things I just think to myself, all those former Soviet republics have probably... I, I think a lot of them are of shitting things. themselves. Exactly. You know, that's why the the three um, Baltic states have all joined NATO. A- mm. And I think if Ukraine hadn't gone in a different way, it would have ended up another Belarus. Exactly. Mm. Right. Which is basically a vassal state to Russia. Mm. Mm, precisely. All right. Well, we've run around the world. There we go. Mm-hmm. Australia, Argentina, Tuvalu, UK, Gaza, China, Ukraine. Covered it all. Solved all the problems of the world in a bit yep. over an hour. That's what you get, dear listener, on this podcast. So, ah, oh, John, John says, yeah. Trevor, his first move was on Kiev. Of course, he wanted all of Ukraine. Well, if you want to draw the troops away from the Donbass, no, you would draw he some actually tried to, to take. Kiev. He tried to actually take Ukraine's capital very early on. So, so John, he had a be, whole thing that he just, went in there. Just he, because you faint in a direction doesn't mean you necessarily want it. Okay, right. true. No, How many times, not, you know? It's not what, true. A, it's not true, Trevor. He was actually what's the trying. Chinese won the art of war. Like, yeah, the art yeah. of war, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, like, that's like true. You'd say, oh, well, we don't want all their troops over here in the Donbass. Let's let's send a few up to Kiev to make them worry about that so they'll have to withdraw some troops back there so it's not going to be so bad over here. Like, that's just just because his first move was on Kiev doesn't mean you want to take it, John. That's not how it works, necessarily. Yeah. Here we go. I think All right. The, I think that the troops that he wasted in Kiev and that sort of stuff would have been very pissed off with that. Well, I don't think he's worried about whether his troops are pissed off or not. No, exactly, because he's sending them all to a slaughterhouse. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a prick. Yeah. 
John says I'm way off the mark. Well, what well, says I'm right. There we go. You guys battle it out in the chat room. Okay, we're done and dusted. That's another episode. We'll be back next week. See what happens. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now. And it's a good night from me. And Joe's dead. So anyway, good night, everyone. Good night.